You're listening to ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and with me today is Dr. Nigel Unwin. Dr. Unwin is Professor of Epidemiology at the Newcastle University in the United Kingdom. He is also head of the Newcastle University WHO Collaborating Center for Diabetes and chairman of the newly published Diabetic Atlas. Thank you, Dr. Unwin, for joining us. Today we're going to be discussing diabetes mellitus, a world epidemic. Before getting to that, Dr. Unwin, could you tell us a little bit about the International Diabetic Federation? Certainly. uh, The International Diabetes Federation, or IDF for short, is uh, an association that represents national diabetes associations around the world. So it's it's a federation that brings together national associations, um, and for example, in the States, the American Diabetes Association is a member of IDF. Uh, In the UK, uh, Diabetes UK is a member of IDF. And it has members in over 150 countries. And in some countries, there are more than two associations that are members. For example, in Brazil, Brazil has at least two diabetes associations that are members of the IDF. So that's roughly who its membership. And it has a global brief. It really sees itself as having a global brief to be an advocate, both for people with diabetes, but increasingly for people who are at risk of diabetes. So it sees itself as you know, promoting the well-being of people with the condition. And increasingly, I would say as well, with a focus on low- and middle-income countries because it's acknowledged that in places uh, like North America and in places like uh, Western Europe, for example, there tend to be quite active and good um, advocacy groups already. And often the people with diabetes who are very poorly served at the moment are in developing countries, in in the poorer countries of the world, uh, where access to care is often very poor. So I would say increasingly it sees itself acting as a voice for people in those countries. But as I say, I think very important to note as well that, you know, with the, as we'll probably talk about in this interview, with the, the, really the explosion of the epidemic of diabetes that is with us already and is growing as, as we speak, it sees itself as having a role in stimulating the prevention of, of uh, type 2 diabetes in particular. I know that this organization publishes an atlas called the Diabetic Atlas, and it's in its third edition, and I have a copy in front of me now. Could you tell me what the purpose of this atlas is? I think in a single phrase, it's there as an advocacy tool. It's there to make the case that diabetes is a major threat to global public health. And, you know, we're all used to using these kind of fancy phrases to make our point. And, uh, you know, there are people who will accuse others of shroud-waving sometimes. But I don't think it's too strong to really talk about this as a major threat to global public health. And it's there to, for example, to flag the fact that, you know, roughly 5% of the adult world population, the world as a whole, developing and developed countries at present, has diabetes, and that this is projected to increase. So what the Atlas does is it brings together the very latest epidemiological data from everywhere in the world that it's possible to find such data. Clearly, there are quality criteria for considering those data. It then uh, extrapolates those, where necessary, to parts of the world where data don't currently exist. And it comes up with an overall estimate of the burden of diabetes in all the countries of the world, and it presents those figures by region within the atlas. Who is this atlas published for? Well, I guess you would say first and foremost, as it is for the International Diabetes Federation, it's published for the membership of the International Diabetes Federation. So those are national and regional diabetes organizations. 
So it's there as a tool. It's there to provide information about the burden of diabetes within their countries, within their regions. And it doesn't just present the epidemiology of diabetes itself. It presents what's known as the epidemiology of the complications of diabetes. And then it also goes on to present some information on what can be done both to prevent diabetes and to prevent the complications of diabetes. So it's there as a tool that can be used to advise policymakers, can be given to policymakers as well, to be given to ministers of health, for example. And it's there as a tool to be used by people who really want to know more about diabetes and be able to influence policy. If I wanted a copy, how could I go about getting it? You could go to the IDF website, which is www.idf.org, and there you could order a copy. For people who would like a copy but unable to pay, they could uh, email IDF, and there's an email address there, and state their case that they would very much like a copy for a particular purpose, but they're not in a position to make a payment for it. And in most cases, that, that would be uh, very strongly considered uh, and a copy sent. If you look back at the second edition, the edition just previous to this, is there any dramatic changes that you would like to highlight? I think the main change is is the uh, increase in burden of diabetes. And I think it's worth saying that our estimates, and as you know, as you introduced me, I work closely with WHO, and WHO also has produced, WHO and IDF work closely together, the diabetes group there, and WHO has also produced um, estimates of diabetes prevalence and then projections to the future. And I think what's worth saying is, first of all, these are estimates based on best epidemiological studies available at this point in time. And then secondly, that the projections to the future are based on two main assumptions. They're based on the change in demographics. So, you know, as populations age, then I'm sure all your listeners will be aware that type 2 diabetes in particular, the risk is associated with age. You know, the the prevalence and incidence goes up as one gets older. So as the world population gets older, taking the world as a whole, then simply the number of people with diabetes will increase. So that's one factor. And so you you take the age-specific prevalence rates at the current time and apply those to the increase in age, to the increase in size of age groups and the increase in age and structure of the population. And the other factor that's taken into account is in in the projections is urbanization. Because there are good data from, in, in places like North America or where I come from, the UK, there's no difference in diabetes prevalence between rural and urban areas because lifestyles are very similar, essentially, in rural and urban areas. But in places like India and sub-Saharan Africa, there are still marked differences um, in rural and urban areas, and the prevalence of diabetes tends to be uh, much higher, considerably higher in the urban areas. So these estimates also take into account trends in urbanization uh, taken from the UN population figures and apply those to the figures for increase in urbanization over the next 10, 20, 30 years and to come up with a figure, a projected figure. So we have increase in population size, aging of the population, and increase in urbanization. And essentially those three things are factored in to produce an estimate for the future. And part of the point of saying all of that is what they don't currently factor in uh, are trends, specifically trends in obesity. And those will be taken into account to some extent by trends in urbanization. But again, as I'm sure you're very aware in North America, and just as we are, in Western Europe, there are trends in obesity that are not explicable by trends in urbanization. We're already very urbanized. And similarly, I think there are are data to suggest in places like urban Africa, there are trends in obesity within the urban centers. So simply taking into account trends in urbanization won't fully take into account the increase in burden of diabetes. So I think the thing to say then is that there are estimates 
projections, for example, up to 2030, that show how the burden will increase and how the figures will more than double over that time period. But these are probably quite conservative estimates because they don't properly factor in at the moment trends in obesity. Why has it taken us so long, apparently, to realize that diabetes is an epidemic? That is a very good question. <laughs> I wish I could give a very succinct and clear answer, but I, I don't think it's possible to give an obvious answer to that. I think, I think there's, a, there's a couple of things going on. I think on, in global terms, it was assumed, and it still is assumed by many people, that diabetes is not a problem in low- and middle-income countries. So in places like India and certainly sub-Saharan Africa, most people, if you ask them, would still assume that diabetes is unlikely to be much of an issue there, and they would cite other things such as HIV, malaria, maternal and child health has been important. But clearly, for example, in sub-Saharan Africa, we have data from the urban centers, this is again the importance of the urban-rural difference, to show that you will find a prevalence of diabetes in adults, for example, in urban Dar es Salaam in Tanzania of around 5%. This is overall, and that's a young age structure. If you look at the over 35s, you'll find a prevalence uh, from, for example, survey work I've been involved with of around 10%. So even in poor countries, it is a major problem, but it has this association of being a disease of affluence, and it's clearly not. It's much more a disease of urbanization, a condition associated with overweight and obesity and lower levels of physical activity. So I think that's one issue. On a global level, it's not perceived as affecting developing countries, but in fact, 70% of all people with diabetes, one of the things the Diabetes Atlas shows, live in developing countries. So I think that's one reason. And then why in places like the UK or the US has it taken so long? Is it, is it only the past 10 years or so that we're really waking up to this? And I, I can't give a great answer to that. I think one of the things, if you look at the history of the classification of diabetes, is that um, up until, in fact, led by the um, American Diabetes Association in 1979, there wasn't a consistent global classification, and uh, the ADA were the first to, to lead in that, followed by WHO doing something very similar in 1980. And what one had before then was, in part, the assumption that type 2 diabetes, which it often has very low levels of symptoms, and so, for example, you know, half of people with type 2 diabetes at any one time, depending on the population, but may not be diagnosed, and you pick this up if you go out and screen people, you might find half as many again, or rather as many again. There were phrases for this, as sometimes this was referred to even by clinicians as mild diabetes, or something, you know, you'd hear the phrase a touch of diabetes because perhaps it could be controlled, the symptomatically controlled on a diet or perhaps with a tablet. And so I think the assumption was made that that wasn't as serious a disease perhaps as type 1 diabetes, insulin-dependent diabetes. I think this is historically... And so maybe that's carried over a little bit. And I think we're waking up to the fact, of course, that diabetes, whether it's type 1 or type 2, and whether it requires diet control only or diet with tablets or insulin, is all serious. It all has major implications for the health of individuals who have it in terms of complication rates and uh, future risk of morbidity and mortality. So I think those are some of the reasons. In the United States, if we look at our last century, Americans have been much impressed by our treatment of infectious disease because of antibiotics, vaccinations, and sanitation. Do you think this is a carryover, why we look to the treatment of malaria, TB, and AIDS as our first priority? Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's partly right. And I think what you often hear as well is that there's an unfinished agenda in infectious disease. So it's almost, you know, the pattern that uh, you had in North America, the pattern that we had in the UK, was this, in the 19th century in particular, this decline in infectious disease rates, in, you know, in waterborne diseases, in tuberculosis, for example, in maternal death rates, 
this big decline that was then followed in the first half of the 20th century by an increase in chronic non-communicable disease death rates, becoming the most important health problems, so, you know, with the, the rise of cardiovascular disease in particular. So I think we have this, you know, conception of that's how it works and that's how these disease patterns go. So I think when you see in places like India or sub-Saharan Africa still high TB, of course, new infections like HIV, high death rates of malaria, still high maternal and child health, it's almost the assumption you've got to deal with that first and then you deal with things like diabetes next. Obviously, you know, what, what the data clearly show is that the two exist together. You can't ignore one while you wait to treat the other. I want to thank Dr. Nigel Unwine, who's been our guest today, and we've been discussing the world epidemic of diabetes. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. For questions and comments, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.